0: Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. Hey, welcome back to the Welsh Wire. We are so glad that you could join us today for our podcast that's being recorded in combination with the Family Business Alliance in Grand Rapids. Today, as our special guest, we have Paul McCarthy, who's a shareholder with Rhodes McKee. Paul, welcome to the Welsh Wire.
1: Good morning. Thank you for having
0: me. We are talking in the midst of our right-sizing risk series with the Family Business Alliance. And Paul, we're so glad to have you on today. Uh, Paul is a very experienced commercial trial lawyer with Rhodes McKee with 29 years of experience. I bet you've helped folks navigate through some pretty risk-filled and difficult situations over 29 years
1: we certainly have. We certainly have.
0: <clears throat> Seen a little bit of everything. And today, what we want to chat about is how attorneys can help business owners mitigate through really rough times in human relationships. Because sometimes things just go wrong, right, Paul?
1: That, that, that it happens. And uh, the question is whether you're prepared for it or not prepared for it.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And in this podcast, we're going to focus on talking about something that none of us really want to think about, but that is divorce, divorce in the family business. Okay, So when when forever isn't, Uh, I think it's fair to say that everyone enters into a marriage assuming that it's going to be forever. Who would do it otherwise, right? But the statistics show across the United States that half of marriages across the U.S. end up in divorce. No one ever really wants to think about it that way, but it's a reality. So I think what you're saying to us is we ought to think about this in the family business too, right, Paul?
1: Well, let's start with just the chances. So let's just say we have a a family business with four shareholders. And if the probability of a divorce is 50-50 for any given couple in the country, and of course, everyone, to your point, gets married and and they think, well, that's not going to be me. Um, But statistically speaking, if you have four shareholders in a family-held company, you're going to experience a divorce. The the chances aren't just more likely than not. It is vastly probable. Um, And so in my practice, I've represented shareholders in privately-held companies to help them figure out the value of their interests. And as part of that, that has pulled me into the divorce arena when either the spouse who is a shareholder in a company is getting divorced or... The non-owner spouse um, uh, is getting divorced, and we have to help them through that process of determining the value of the privately held interest.
0: Yeah. And so you've got tremendous experience in this area. Um, it, it's really interesting the way you put it. I never quite considered it that way before, but you're absolutely right. If you've got four shareholders in a company, the probability being so high that someone's going to get divorced, wow, that's big. Yeah, yeah. That it's it's big. it's near hundred <laughs> percent yeah yep. so and, and really, so think of I, this
1: so think yeah. of this what what other risk profile for a business I mean business they go out and they buy uh, uh, property and casualty insurance in the event their plant burns down they, they they buy car insurance in the event they get into a car accident those chances are remote and a divorce is a pronounced risk but the human condition to your earlier point, it's a negative concept. People don't want to talk about it. And then ironically, compounding the problem is the desire by business owners to keep the business and family separate. So they say that in the one hand, but by doing that, they're turning a blind eye and putting their head, their, their proverbial head into the sand and, and not looking at the risk on the horizon.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. That's so true. So you have some thoughts about how to sort
1: of plan ahead for the worst tell us about that's right well let's let's talk about what happens if you don't have a plan um so here's how it works if if business owners just think all right business and family is separate uh your marriage is your private life it's not part of the business i'm not going to butt my nose into it that's all private um and so then uh Down the road, unexpectedly, uh, one of the shareholders is getting divorced, and then the business finds itself in a situation where all of its financial information is being requested. And the business owners, the other shareholders, are like, "What's going on? Like, we don't have to give this information. This is business information." Oh yeah, you do. Oh yeah, you do. So then, all of your business information is being collected by the lawyer for the for the other spouse, probably the lawyer for the divorcing spouse you have two different valuation experts that are going to be crawling through the books and the records. Mm. You're going to be producing your financial records. You're going to be producing your, your lending, your credit facilities. You're going to be uh, producing your forecasts. Um, and and so business owners are are they go cataclysmic, especially the not the other shareholders who are like, what's going on? Like you need to get this
0: resolved. Right, exactly. Stop dragging us through the mud in the midst of your personal squabbles. Yeah. I mean, this is bad. This is this is bad. And this information is out there for anybody to see it who wants your competitors.
1: Well, so uh, there's a there's a concept in the in the law called a protective order, and those are commonly issued. Uh, In the course of discovery, which is the exchange of information and working up experts and whatnot. And the protective order will keep that information out of the public realm. So if financial records have to be submitted to the judge because they're arguing about a point, um, those those would be uh, filed what's called under seal. So they wouldn't be in the public file. But pause that for a second. Pause that for a second. And just um, because people might not understand this. Litigation is public. Anything that gets filed with the court is in a file at the courthouse. You can literally walk up to the clerk's office and ask to see the Adams versus Adams divorce file, and they will give it to you, and you can go right through it. Um, So the protective order makes sure that during the discovery process, that information doesn't get put in the public file. Um, But what people don't understand or appreciate is that Katie bar the door if the case goes to trial. Because trials are inherent, trials are inherently public, and courtrooms are open to the public. And so, uh, that forecast that you don't want anyone to see, that's going to go into evidence in, an, in a public trial uh, as part of that valuation exercise. If if you're not proactive.
0: Okay, so it is possible for your competitors to potentially get this information if it goes to trial. Yeah, that's. In the rest of the world. Yeah, that's not a good thing at all. Not, I mean, there's nothing about this that's good, right,
1: Paul? No, no. And 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 what it does <laughs> is it drives up the risk profile in the case. So in the lack of planning, uh, your information is going to become, uh, it, it's definitely going to get in the hands of the other side. Uh, and if you don't get the case resolved, it's going to be in a trial. And so... If you're the business owner or the other shareholders of the business, what kind of pressure are you putting on that shareholder to get the case resolved?
0: Oh, right, and, and the distraction of all of this while you're trying to run a business—I I can't even imagine what that causes for the leadership. That's right. Your
1: your CFO, your accounting department, your finance people, your bankers—it's it, it is um, a, a very distracting and stressful process.
0: So that's one way to go about handling a divorce. But I think that you have a suggestion for maybe a better way to approach things.
1: I do. I do. There's one other point that I think, um, and probably most people understand this, but I run into clients from time to time that that don't seem to understand it. And that is the concept, well, I generated the business. This is my business. This isn't going to be part of the divorce. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, Mm. And and if it is a marital asset, if that is something that was purchased or acquired over the course of the marriage, whether you're the hundred percent owner or you're a fifty-five percent owner with your brother, um, your spouse is an invisible shareholder under Michigan law, and that Mm. that asset will be will be valued no different than a house. Um, no different than an investment account, and it will be divided in a divorce case. So, so just to kind of clear up the notion, is the business in uh, on the table, so to speak? Uh, absolutely it is, if it was acquired over the course of the marriage. So then the question becomes, what can you do to avoid or mitigate risk to the business with respect to the possibility, a distinct possibility or probability of a divorce when you have, say, four shareholders or more? Um, and the answer is a prenuptial agreement. And, and times have changed dramatically, both from a social standpoint and from a legal standpoint, with regard to prenuptial agreements.
0: Yeah, right. Although when you just say that word, a whole lot of family business owners right now are thinking, Oh, my gosh, how in the world that is that's nasty. That sounds nasty. Like, I, I don't even know that I could do that. But you're suggesting right. so, it's, so, so it's a conversation so that needs to be had, right?
1: So, so you're taking a concept that it's already, you know, intrinsically business owners want to keep business and family separate, right? And, and now you bring up the concept of a prenuptial agreement. This is just a domino effect of, of negative topics that people don't really <laughs> want to address. But um, the reality is this, uh, 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 a marriage will end in one of two ways, death or divorce. So neither is, is, uh, a very positive thing to think about or to contemplate. Um, and, and so a prenuptial agreement has to forecast what happens in either of those scenarios. Um, and, and business owners are, are, are commonly, you know, they're reluctant to do the estate plan too, because it's a negative concept. Like, I don't want to have to think about my demise. What do I do with this? and That's complicated. Um, uh, so the prenuptial agreement uh, it just reflects the reality. Those are the two ways a marriage can end, and as reasonable adults, people can um, come together before they get married and decide some baseline agreements for what happens uh, under either of those scenarios. And so, uh, any family business, any any um, privately held business, particularly one that is succeeding from Generation to generation, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's it's a good idea to condition the condi- the, the the succession of the stock on uh, on a prenuptial agreement being entered into for any any shareholder who's going to come into the company. And so I said, prenuptial agreements have changed dramatically from a social standpoint and from a legal standpoint. It was only in 1991 that the state of Michigan recognize the validity of a prenuptial agreement in the context of divorce. So 30 years ago. Um, And, and over the course of that 30 years, um, you know, the societal acceptance and the, and the, and the, and the the social taboo, if you will, has eased on, on that concept because a prenuptial agreement doesn't have to be here's the agreement that will render you penniless, you know, The person entering into it or demanding it is the is the is the ogre. Uh, That isn't it at all. Um, And so, so societally, we've accepted it. Um, Legally, it has been accepted. And and then there are just some certain requirements that you need to go through. I mean, you need to have fair disclosure of assets. Uh, You have to have discussion and 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 good drafting. Um, But so long as you have accomplished those things. Uh, prenuptial agreements should be reliably enforced in the state of Michigan.
0: Okay. So, and, and you um, and your firm obviously know how to put a good prenuptial agreement together because you've worked, y'all have worked through these things for years, correct? Not only work through them, but then litigate them
1: when people try to wiggle out. Right. So, so then you get into, all right, well, what is your prenuptial agreement going to do? Yeah. Um, Tell us about that. well, it's interesting because it is, there's no formula. Uh, it is an agreement. And yeah. under Michigan law, Michigan law, uh, uh, public policy is the enforcement of agreements. And so if, if you enter into a clear agreement, the agreement will be enforced by a court to mean what it says. Um, and, and in that regard, you can literally do anything. Um, uh, so the parties can, can contemplate what they want to do with respect to their assets. The smartest thing to do when you have a family owned business is to just sideline the, that stock interest as separate property. Mm-hmm. So I referenced, okay. I referenced before, whether if, if a, if an asset is acquired over the course of the marriage, it's marital, but if it's gifted, it's not marital. So gifted interests are not marital property, but it gets a little bit, confusing because if it's a gifted interest and the shareholder works actively works in the business, then the appreciation of that stock then still is marital. So you can avoid all of that clutter by simply agreeing stock in ABC Inc is separate property. It will remain separate property. Its growth and appreciation will uh, be separate property. And oftentimes you know privately held companies spin off some distributions. And you could you could negotiate whether or not any of the distributions or after tax effect distributions are considered marital or whether they're sidelined too. So, um, but that's the easiest, cleanest. Make it black and white. But it can be more complicated than that. They can tie in valuation uh, references um, to to like a balance sheet item or something else just to keep it clean and keep it neat and tidy right. in the event of a divorce. But you want to keep. You want to keep the business protected and keep that financial information out of the hands of the other party and certainly out of the hands of the public market.
0: Right, right. So you've given us a really simplistic view of what can be a very complicated problem, right? And a risk to mitigate. And that is looking at the possibility of divorce in the family business and looking at how a good prenuptial agreement Forget what we've thought about it for years, that this is a this is a gotcha, you know, in, in the event of a divorce, it's really protection for everyone all the way around um, and for the sustainability and health of the family business. It's it's needed. Yeah. It's necessary. It,
1: it really is. There are other ways that can be addressed that shareholders and business owners have not seen willing to do, but you could really the There are shareholder agreements that are put in place, and those are agreements that run between the shareholders and the company. And those shareholder agreements can contemplate certain circumstances. Um, And there there are other more, and this would be beyond the topic for today, but but ways that lawyers can work with the business owners to, um, to further refine risk within the shareholder agreement and the concept of divorce.
0: Wonderful. So again, another option and another way of looking at things. But right. suffice it to say, I mean, as complex as as any given family business can be, prenuptial agreements could can end up being a little bit more complex too. But really the best thing to do is if you're listening today and you're in a family business and recognizing that this is something you may not have addressed in your operation and with your family and shareholders, it might be time for that conversation. Would you would you agree, Paul?
1: I I would totally agree. I would totally agree. And then there's there are also the the questions of how will the stock succeed from one generation to the other, and uh, if you if you structure it as a purchase, that will be um, considered a marital asset if it's purchased over the course of the marriage. And if you do it through, um, there are lots of different estate planning ways. A grantor retained annuity trust is a common way that business owners. transition stock to the next generation and that's a gift and then it's a held held in trust and uh and and that in and of itself even without a prenuptial agreement certainly solidifies uh and protects that asset from from consideration in a divorce
0: okay so there, there's another way to approach it as well good that's right good
1: but i guess the the, the, the basic the basic message of this of our discussion here is that Prenuptial agreements are valid. Prenuptial agreements are accepted. Prenuptial agreements are common. And you don't have to just be a business owner to to, to, uh, want to have a prenuptial agreement. There are lots of second marriages in our society. And every second marriage, particularly marriages with kids, prenuptial agreements ought to be entered into um, prior to any of those marriages. Just to have the parties come together. Here's what I'm going to do for my kids. Here's what you're going to do for your kids. Here's what we're going to do together for our kids. Here's what we're going to do for each other. Uh, It gets complicated. So in the absence of a prenuptial agreement, you're again, inviting some frustration um, between family members.
0: Right. And it's unnecessary because as you suggest, if you take the right steps at the beginning with something like a prenuptial agreement, you can avoid any problems that come down the road. And listen, if, if divorce doesn't happen, that's okay, right? That's, that's right, that's right. That's what we're all hoping for, but we're, <laughs> we're, uh, we're expecting the best, but planning for the worst, so
1: to speak. That's yeah. That's exactly right, that's exactly right. Plan for the best, well, or plan for the worst, hope for the best.
0: Yes, yes, and, and meanwhile, protecting the family business along the way. Well, Paul, this has been a great discussion if our listeners have more questions about prenuptial agreements or heard something that you shared today and, and would like to chat with you more about it, what's the best way for them to reach you? By email?
1: Email is probably best just at McCarthy at Rhodes com <clears throat> or my telephone number there three five one three three.
0: 233-5133. Okay, awesome. So again, we've been chatting with Paul McCarthy. He's a shareholder at Rhodes McKee. Um, he's been 29 years as a commercial trial lawyer there with Rhodes McKee in Grand Rapids. And we're so thrilled that he could join us today on the Family Business Alliance co-podcast that we're doing today on right-sizing risks. We've been talking about divorce in the family business and, um, and how to protect against that. And Paul, you shared some great tips with our listeners today. We really appreciate you being our guest.
1: My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.